I've, tonight I felt particularly happy to be sitting with you and playing a little bit with the gongs and uh, pointing to the, um, to the natural uh, freedom uh, that is the, the true nature of our mind uh, in spite of what we may think about ourselves that, that we are beyond what we can think we are, we are quite uh, open um, in fact we are so open that we have no limits and because we have no limits there is there's space for everything now when our mind is habitually reacting to things as Linda was talking about with grasping or aversion, our world gets, becomes very small, very tight. But all that does is it doesn't necessarily redefine us as small, tight beings. It just obscures the natural openness that's always already there. And the process of meditation is to, as one teacher, Srinas or Gadatta Maharaj, Put it is to just brush the dust of memory, brush the dust of habit by seeing clearly what your mind is doing. And slowly, slowly, as you brush the dust of, of habit, the clear mirror, the empty, open, light nature of your mind will shine through. Now that's the gradual way, but there's also the immediate way of just noticing, noticing the fact that you're noticing and noticing that, that the quality or the space of noticing that noticing doesn't really have a place so, uh, it's not just stuck between your ears it includes everything everything that can be seen, heard, smelled tasted all, all with plenty of room within the nature of noticing so this is why, in some way, we exploit the, the quality of noticing because it's, uh, every time we do that, or when we do that, we're, uh, we're pointing ourselves back to freedom instead of into our, our fixations, our absorptions in, in grasping and aversion, in being focalized on what I want to happen or what I need to get rid of. So thanks for putting that out, Linda, about grasping and aversion. And then, of course, the opposite of grasping and aversion is, is love and, and generosity, letting go. And, and this is the, um, the natural face of being open. As we, we naturally begin to feel much more goodwill when we're open, much more generous. As, as you may have sensed in the sitting that if you had any sense that all the sounds, all the sensations were arising within the vast space of your own mind, you also may have been aware that all the people in this room were arising in the vast space of your own mind. And if you expand that further, farther, further, you would realize that the whole of the world and all beings and all circumstances are also part of the nature of your own mind. And you begin to sense that we are um, one family 
We are touching all beings right where we're sitting. That you don't have to move anywhere to be connected to all of life. And in fact, the more we move, the more we're scattered, the more we feel separate from the flow of life, separate from all beings. But when we stop, one of the definitions of one-pointedness, the word one-pointed, you you often hear in meditation practice, the word is from the Pali word, ekagata. But the deeper meaning of this word, one-pointedness, just here, the deeper meaning of that word is the one point that includes everything. This is the Dharma, that we don't exist really independently apart from each other, that our sense of, of separateness is a, is a kind of delusion. And most of the actions that we engage in in our life tend to, uh, especially unconsciously, tend to reinforce this delusion, this feeling that we're separate. And then we spend a lot of time trying to not feel separate when none of us was separate to begin with. The wave has never been separated from the ocean. This was a mistake, a, a, a case of mistaken perception. I highlight this because in spite of the extraordinary benefits of practicing mindfulness and in all the circumstances that mindfulness is practiced now in every kind of therapeutic modality people are learning mindfulness to be able to work with their with their uh, with their finances with their clients with their uh, particular neuroses whatever it is it has it has endless applications and it is sweeping the world right now. It's probably one of the most uh, frequently used words in business, in psychology, in every domain of life. We have a, a person in the House of Representatives now who, from Ohio, Tim Ryan, who's, who's teaching, who, who's, who's part of this movement of spreading mindfulness into education and, and perhaps even into the House of Representatives Let's all pray. <laughs> it's everywhere. And, it, and the more people that practice, the better. But the danger in the expansion of mindfulness as a secular practice, which it is, the danger of it of the, of the factor of mindfulness, the part of practice that is mindfulness, being teased out of the beautiful body of wisdom teachings that include just the nature of reality and teased out of the, the, um, the importance of ethics and morality, it's, um, one person put it, it's like, uh, having an Oreo cookie and just eating the cream. Or I th- was thinking of today, and I was talking this over with my wife, uh, like, the, um, like eating the cream cheese without the bagel. It's missing the gestalt of the taste of all of, of that mindfulness, that glorious center of the Eightfold Path Wise, uh, um, wise, it's called right, right samadhi. 
It's called samadhi. It's, the, it's right mindfulness, right concentration, right effort. That beautiful part of the Eightfold Path that is about the training of our mind to be present and to work and shift our relationship to the flow of experience, to put our mind in our body, to stay here, all of that. To, to have that without the understanding that without that foundation of ethics and morality, taking care with our livelihood, taking care with our thoughts, taking care with our speech, without having that foundation, as as one person put it, it would be, I think it may have been the Buddha, it's like trying to row a boat without untying it from the dock. You don't really discover the depths of the teachings. And, of course, without the wise view, without what's called wise understanding, which includes the part of the Eightfold Path that's wise understanding and wise thought. Thought that is motivated by goodwill, by generosity, by renunciation. And wise understanding that life's tough. And we to really drink the, the deepest essence of the Dharma, you have to learn to let go. You have to learn to let go a little and you'll have, as Ajahn Chah says, you'll have a little peace. And you have to learn to let go more and you'll have more peace. And, and you can, in this very life, let go completely and have this unshakable peace and freedom where your struggles with your life will come to an end. But that doesn't mean that life doesn't have lots of dukkha. Anybody who is born has things that are difficult to bear. I was rummaging through an Ajahn Chah book tonight. He's, I've been really enjoying Ajahn Chah lately, so any of you who have not read the great Ajahn Chah, wonderful. It's so simple and direct, and, and he just speaks about it. it he doesn't, he's not talking about secular mindfulness and, the, and cream cheese and bagels. He's talking about wise understanding, realizing the essence of the Dharma. And he puts it like this, realizing the, the Dharma... The path to freedom from the cycles of suffering, the cycles of birth and death, is a task that we all have to do alone. So keep trying to let go and understand the teachings. Put effort into your contemplation. Don't worry about your family. At the moment, they are as they are. In the future, they will be like you. There's no one in the world who can escape this fate. The Buddha taught to lay down those things that lack a real abiding essence. If you lay everything down, you will see the real truth. If you don't, you won't. That's the way it is, and it's the same for everyone in the world. So don't grasp at anything. This is why Ajahn Sumedho reduces his teaching down to just two words. Letting go. He says, simplify your practice down to two words. Letting go. Rather than trying to develop this practice, develop that and achieve this and go into that, understand this and read the sutras, study the Abhidhamma, Learn Pali and Sanskrit, the Majamaka, the Prajnaparamita. Get ordinations in the Hinayana, the Mahayana, the Vajrayana. Write books and become a world-renowned authority on Buddhism. 
Instead of becoming the world's expert on Buddhism and being invited to great international Buddhist conferences, just let go, let go, let go. I did nothing but this for about two years. Every time I tried to understand or figure things out, I'd say, let go, let go, until the desire would fade out. So I'm making it very simple for you to save you from getting caught in incredible amounts of suffering. There is nothing more sorrowful than having to attend international Buddhist conferences. (laughs) Some of you might have the desire to become the Buddha of the age, Maitreya, radiating love throughout the world. But instead, I suggest just being an earthworm, letting go of the desire to radiate love throughout the world. Just be an earthworm who knows only two words, let go, let go, let go. You see, ours, he talks about the Theravada tradition, ours is the lesser vehicle, the Hinayana. So we have only these simple poverty-stricken practices. But this is the essence of the the Buddha Dharma. It's not just to be mindful of changing conditions. It is to understand the nature of change. It is to understand the unreliability of things that change. It's to understand the emptiness, the insubstantiality of things that change. So he says the important thing is to be constant and resolute in the practice, determined to be awakened, not just to be mindful. Determined to be awakened. This is not to be conceited or foolish, but resolute, even when the going is rough. Remind yourself of the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. Stay with it, letting go of despair, of anguish, of pain, of doubt, of everything that arises and passes that we habitually cling to and create our identity around. Keep this letting go like a constant refrain in your mind so it just pops up on its own no matter where you are. As I was reading this, I was reflecting on, believe it or not, how could I do that at the same time, but somehow I was. So reflecting on meeting with someone earlier today who was describing a a state of, um, of dread and state of, a kind of state of tension and heaviness that uh, essentially, she had felt as though she had experienced her whole life. And she had, she had built a, um, an edifice, this is, and I don't say this pejoratively, an edifice which was a, a, a cohesive story about how this experience of the feeling that she has has uh, defines her, and she has built a case, as I often quote Katie Byron, she's built a case for the prosecution, how it makes this feeling and feelings that are associated with it make her flawed, make her doomed in some form, make her, make her convinced of this view that there's something wrong with her. And this is, and we could become quite, um, we can become quite sophisticated at at uh, noticing what's going on in our mind. She could describe this story of her mind perfectly, with such clarity and with such 
um, with such really psychological insight. But it wasn't until we actually started tracking moment to moment, not just the idea of that, but the life of that experience. Now that, of course, employs mindfulness, which is the center of the Eightfold Path, the navigator of the Eightfold Path. But in the course of that process of of tracking the flow of that seemingly intractable sensation in her belly, it moved. It moved. And that tension or that dread moved to heaviness, moved to uh, strength, moved to solidness, moved to... And and she began to see that whatever that self-idea, whatever that definition was, uh, could not quite capture the the living reality of her experience and how all of us, to some extent, miss the Dharma, the truth, that, that none of what we describe, none of what we experience can really encapsulate our sense of who we are. That these are all changing conditions. They are, they are not personal. Those sensations arise according to conditions. And they, they last for a time, and then they pass away. And of course, the light of awareness shows us that. But then we begin to, if we keep paying attention to the changing flow of experience, it can begin to dawn us, on us that there is nothing, nothing whatsoever that can define us. Nothing in this world of changing conditions that, that can be said to be me and mine, that we can find a reliable refuge in and in the in that letting go in that letting go into life as it's presenting itself our life instead of being defined by this story of the past we are not necessarily defined but we experience ourselves as the reality of the present moment there is a a taste of freedom now of course in the process of of opening to life in the present moment, the natural freedom, the, the vast expanse of the nature of the mind, what comes to visit is everything we have practiced. Every wrong view, every distorted perception of ourselves and each other, every tendency to blame others, to blame ourselves, to want what we don't have, not want what we do have, this is what visits over and over and over again. But we, and so we practice so that we don't get caught in that and we use it all. We use it all to, uh, to help brighten that light of awareness so that we stop, we stop um, reacting so much to and believing so much the stories of our lives. And as we let go of, as Ajahn Sumedho says, as we let go of that tight fist of grasping, we realize that the infinite space is there. Open, inviting. And in that openness and, and that inviting quality, that connection with life that seems very intense at first, we see that, that we're, again, that we're not so separate. And we realize, oh, I almost said, oh my God, <laughs> oh my Lord, <laughs> oh, oh life. Everything I say 
everything I do is impinging on everything and everyone else. I realize that there is no way I can have peace, I can have success, I can have joy in my life if I am acting in ways, no matter how much I've realized the nature of mine, if I'm acting in ways that are causing myself harm or causing others harm. I realize that a foundation of ethics is the, it really is the foundation of, uh, of the whole of our practice. So I, I'm actually cooking up a, a 100-day retreat for the fall where we just practice intensively every day for 100 days uh, working with the different training guidelines which I brought along tonight and I would invite everyone not to wait until the fall to start practicing intensively and I'd like to share the Thich Nhat Hanh version of the five training guidelines or precepts ways of living that that actually support our mindfulness and don't uh, and don't allow it to be teased out of the uh, of the um, of the totality and the possibility of freedom that we each have. Number one, aware of the suffering caused by violence. I undertake the training to refrain from killing or committing violence toward living beings. I will attempt to treat all beings with compassion and loving kindness. How would that be just for a day? Aware of the suffering caused by theft, I undertake the training to refrain from stealing, from taking that which is not given. I will attempt to practice generosity and will be mindful about how I use the world's resources. Aware of the suffering caused by sexual misconduct, I undertake the training to refrain from using sex in ways that are harmful to myself or to others. I will attempt to express my sexualities in ways that bring joy and feelings of connection. Aware of the suffering caused by harmful speech, I undertake the training to refrain from lying, from harsh speech, from slander, from idle speech. I will attempt to speak and write in ways that are both truthful and appropriate. Aware of the suffering caused by alcohol and drugs, I undertake the training to refrain from misusing intoxicants that dull and confuse the mind. I will attempt to cultivate a clear mind and an open heart. And for the fall, we'll make copies of this for everyone. And then I, I always, whenever I, well not whenever, but often when I share the precepts, I like to share a, a Christian prayer that... Um, is a reminder to act wisely. It goes like this. Dear God, so far today I've done all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. Haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. I'm really glad about that. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm probably going to need a lot of help. So this, this, uh, this group is tired tonight. 
So just one last uh, passage before I take any comments or questions in the last 10 minutes. I thought I'd share the words of Ashk Fagosa, who I think lived in the 8th century or something like that. I'm not positive. It's called Living in the World. The Dharma of the Buddha does not require a person to go into homelessness or to resign from the world unless he or she feels called upon to do so. But the Dharma of the Buddha requires every person to free themselves from the illusion of self. And another way of saying that is the illusion of separateness. To cleanse one's heart and to give up one's thirst for pleasure. It doesn't mean give up pleasure. And lead a life of righteousness. And whatever people do, whether they remain in the world as artisans, merchants, or officers of the king and queen, or retire from the world and devote themselves to a life of religious meditation, let them put their whole heart into their task. Let them be diligent and energetic. And if like the lotus flower, which grows out of muddy water but remains untouched by the mud, they engage in life without cherishing envy or hatred. And if they live in the world, not a life of self, but a life of truth, then surely joy, peace, and bliss will dwell in their minds. So may all of us put, it, put our tush on the cush and our actions toward the purification of action, purification of mind, and purification of view or understanding. So any comments or questions, since we have a few minutes left? Rendered speechless. Please, David. So you're trying to follow the intention to to let go. Let go of your obsession with your to-do list. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it helps to write it down, but sometimes the writing it down becomes its own kind of compulsion. So wherever it is that wherever it is you're holding, just that's the place of practice. It's great. It sounds beautiful. Let go, let go. Anyone else? You all ready for complete liberation instead of just a little day-to-day mindfulness? I'm really on this theme of, of the promise of awakening and not just, not just to get a little bit of, uh, of stress relief, not just to get a little, not, not just to have a nice vacation, but to really be able to deal with our lives uh, and to find a deep sense of relief and live right in the middle of it all in harmony. To, so part of what I thought about during the, for the fall 
was not only to do something on the precepts, but do a daily contemplation on sickness, old age, and death every single day. Not as a morbid practice, but as a constant reminder that we're sinking. We are sinking. What worked 20 years ago doesn't work as well now. And that's just, that's reality. That's just the nature of things. And so the whole point is to be in harmony with things the way they are. Please. Hi. How do I identify mindfulness being separated from ethics? Well, a lot of the mindfulness that's being taught is to enhance one's skill set, both a skill at tracking their thoughts and feelings, and people are becoming really more self-aware of what they're thinking and feeling. But most, but the aim a lot is for symptom relief and for for more peace and more harmony. All that's wonderful, and it's and it's working. But it. It doesn't just just for specific purposes of how to how to be a better worker or how to be more efficient in your life doesn't quite hit at the heart of that deep inner being that we all are part of, and if without wise understanding we don't ha- we don't we're not even motivated to to refine our our um, our sila or our morality and ethics. But with wise understanding, we want to do everything we can not to cause any harm. We're, we're mortified by, the, by how, how much we're leaking all the time, we're, how much we're impacting. I, when I, I've confessed my delusion so many times here about my leaky aggression, especially when it comes to, uh, to policemen, and border guards, and passport agencies, and, and, how, and the impact when I've really just let the, let the juice fly let the aggression fly. And we practice the Dharma to not just to find that middle way between acting out and suppressing, but to actually learn what the impact is of our actions. To learn that, that our actions that are motivated by love light up the world, and the ones that are motivated by hatred just create, it comes right back at us. So that requires some understanding, as opposed to just trying to to get a little stress relief. I don't mean a little, I don't want to diminish it by saying just a little stress relief. That's a lot. Uh, But there's a deeper fabric of Dharma that can easily be lost. And and that's why we're here. And I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're not just interested in mindfulness, you're interested in the whole, in the Dharma. Please. How do you how do you hold the focus of uh, how do you hold the intention to uh, to to practice to free yourself from delusion to to abide uh, in harmony with life how do you square that with the idea of letting go well the means of the means of learning how to live in harmony is to let go so you have to so you want to practice letting go with gusto so really I don't want I, I'm not trying to be glib either it's uh, letting go is the is the practice, and uh, 
And letting go doesn't mean non-doing. Letting go means letting go of grasping, letting go of the things in our lives that cause suffering. And that's what the practice is. So we often, we often think of letting go as getting rid of. And that's not what it means. It's really letting go of the mind that's really tight and, and fixated and compulsive and, and worried and, and needs something else to be happy and thinks that I can't be happy now. Any of you ever feel that? And this is simply the grasping mind. And in a moment free of grasping, nothing has changed in our life, but all of a sudden we feel okay. And that okay didn't necessarily have to do with having acquired something or gotten rid of something, but the, but the, the loosening at that moment of grasping. So I think that's all the time we have for tonight. So I appreciate you staying with the evening. If you're anything like me, uh, you're probably a bit exhausted, so we won't, uh, we won't linger too long other than to consider, as we always do, uh, our place in connection with all of life and, and consider the, that there may have been some uh, goodness that has arisen from our practice, some benefits, some fruits, some blessings, and that we, we always use this time to share that with a blessing and, and a deep wish that, that all beings uh, can be touched by our practice, all beings can find more happiness in their lives and the causes of happiness uh, increasing, that all beings can be free of suffering and the causes of suffering decreasing, that all beings, without exception, can find that sacred happiness that is without sorrow here and now and not overlook this vital point. outside of time that each of us is already. And at least a wish that all beings can grow because of wisdom and love, grow in serenity and equanimity, able to meet the inevitable joys and sorrows with less grasping and less aversion. And finally, a deep wish that our practice today, tonight, and every day and every night be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all. May all beings know the depth of the Dharma. May all beings be liberated. announcement as you're walking out. Next, I will be on retreat starting tomorrow evening uh, through next Wednesday, but you will have the great good fortune of having Tom Moon here again, psychologist and a long, long time Dharma student who will be speaking about personality views, views of self, and uh, he's been very well received in past uh, Dharma talks, so and he always has some good tools to use. So please come and support him and support yourselves. Thank you.